In the text that we're going to look at today, James, the author of the book of James, a half-brother of Jesus, helps us with something that every single person in this room needs to get a handle on. Every single person in the room. Um, Not one Christian will walk through their life, not one human being will walk through life, without having struggles and issues and things that, that, that grip us and control us and at least have the potential of doing that. And so what James is going to write about today, that we're going to read about, is how to be an overcomer in Christ. How to be an overcomer. And if you, if you were here last week, you might remember that the preceding verses that we looked at last week, James was confronting Christians who were compromising their spiritual lives. And he called them, he was, James is really in your face sometimes, he called them a bunch of adulteresses. Because he said that you're compromising your, your commitment to Christ. That they were, they were claiming to be Christians. They were people who had repented and had turned their lives from their lives of sin and self-centeredness in order to follow Jesus. That's what they said about themselves. They sang the old song, or at least for us an old song. Remember the old song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus? Who can sing that with me? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And we'll stop right there because what were they saying? This is what these people are like. They were sitting in church and they were singing those songs. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. No turning back. That's what they said. But James looks at their lives. It's easy to sing a song, right? Easy to sit in church and say, you know, you're a good, good father. No turning back from you. And that's what they were doing. But James looks at him and says, you know what? But you're living in ways that's bringing question to your devotion to Jesus. And James said in the preceding verses, he says, you know what? You guys are friends with the world. Meaning that they were believing and acting in ways that were opposed to Jesus. Because by world here, he means aligning themselves with a system established by Satan to oppose Jesus. So they said they were following Jesus, but they were participating in things and they were acting in ways that were actually opposed to the good ways of Jesus. And we can try to imagine some of the things that that, that, that could have been that they were participating in. We don't know. But we know in a general sense it's this. They were things that harmed themselves, things that were not good for themselves, things that were harmful to someone else, maybe for profit or for pleasure. They were doing things that were harmful to other people or things that devalued themselves or devalued others. Things that we call sin or we call compromise, or this is the way we like to make it feel good about it, we call it just bad habits. They were, they were saying, they were singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. But then they're participating in things that say, I'm obviously not walking with Jesus the way I should be. So James sees Christian people engaging in these destructive behaviors, and I believe he knows something about them. And I believe if, if something inside of you is, is kind of peaked right now, something inside of you saying, I'm feeling uncomfortable right now, 
because there's some things inside of my life that I'm singing, I have decided to follow Jesus, but there's some things in my life that are kind of controlling me right now, some things I don't like, and no one else maybe knows about it. It's done in the darkness of a room with my cell phone, or it's, it's done in some other way, and I'm, I'm involved in some things, and, it's, and I know I don't want that. But that James knows something about anybody in that situation. He knows that many of those who are participating in these things want to stop doing them. They really want to stop. They say, I don't want to live like this. I don't want to sing this song, but have my life sing a different song. That I want to live my life singing the song and acting in a way that says, I am following Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And so the things they're participating in, I believe that James understands and, and we understand they want to stop. You know, and, and maybe the things that they were doing started out as, as what they thought was harmless. They said, oh, it's no big deal. But now they're hooked. They want to stop, but Satan has got his hooks deep into them, and they find themselves living, as James used this term, as a double-minded person. One foot in the world and one foot trying to follow Jesus. Wanting to follow Jesus but engage in things that they know are opposed to the loving and good life that God intends for those who follow, follow after him. So after pointing out error of the, the error of their ways, calling them adulteresses in the preceding verses, now James goes on to explain how they and anyone can actually overcome those things that we did give into and have their hooks into us. How can we be an overcomer? How can someone live as a fully devoted follower of Jesus and overcome those things that once pulled them back, that tried to pull them back into the world? How can they live all out for, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. So let's look what James has to say. Grab your Bible, turn to James chapter 4 with me. And we're going to read verses 6 through 10. James chapter 4. Verses 6 through 10. So the preceding verses, he's just been punching people in the face with his words, saying, you bunch of adulteresses, you're living a double-minded life. But then verse 6. Aren't you glad that God never just lets us? He just will just say something and say, Mark, you got it all wrong. He says, Mark, you're not doing it the way you should, and here's how it can get better. That's what God does. So look at how he says it can be better, verses 6 through 10. He says, but... He gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. We'll stop right there. This is the key to overcoming right here. He wraps it up in a nice little package, and we're going to unwrap the package and explain it today so we can see how does it apply in practical terms to our life so that we can overcome, because I really do believe this. I believe that there's stuff in our lives, and there's always going to be stuff in all of our lives. No one lives this world without, with, without times of being gripped by the things of the world. No one does. There's all times that we have to say, God, how do I get past this? How do I overcome? And James says, here's how you can do it, church. And it starts off this way. But he gives greater grace. Look how James starts here. 
Look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say we overcome those things that keep pulling us down by trying harder. That's what we, that's what we think. Just try harder. Or do this. Just make another New Year's resolution. You know how many New Year's resolutions are, are broken within the first two weeks? 95% of New Year's resolutions are broken within the first two weeks. Something like that. That's what, that's what the studies say. So he's not saying, he, you know what, Mark? There's some, there's some besetting sin inside of your life. There's some things. Some, Satan's got his hooks inside of you. And, you're, and you've kind of, you're trying to follow Jesus, but there's this thing drawing you in a different direction, and you're kind of losing the battle. And he says, well, Mark, guess what? Just try harder. That's not what he says at all. He doesn't say try harder. He doesn't say just make a resolution. No, he says it's all about grace. And friends, here's what I think. I think we don't understand what he means when he says grace. I really don't think as a church world we get grace at all. You know, what does it, what does it really mean? We toss out definitions like this. Matter of fact, tell me your standard definition of grace. Unmerited favor. Every one of us rolls off our tongue. Unmerited favor. What in the world does that mean in the application of this? What does that really mean to us in a situation where I have something that's gripping me and I say, oh, but I have unmerited favor. Can you, can you sing that in the shower? I got unmerited favor. I'm going to get better. No. We don't really grasp what that means. Grace, my friends, is everything. I want you to think of grace this way because this is really what grace is all about. Grace is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. That's probably the best definition of grace. That's Dallas Willard's definition of grace. Grace is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. It's God's empowerment. Grace means power. People don't understand it. The word for grace, when it says you have spiritual gifts, you know what the same word is there? It's the word grace. You have graces. It's the same word. That empowerment to do something. Grace is about empowerment to do in and through us what we cannot do on our own no matter how hard we try. You want to know the right word for grace? Grace equals power. Grace means power, the power of God. And that's what James is talking about here. He is saying that we need God's power to overcome the strongholds that are in our lives. This isn't about self-help. It's about God's intervention and God's deliverance. It's about God's power. And notice here, James says, and God gives greater grace. You know that the scriptures don't inspire words on accident? This Holy Spirit that inspired James to just toss the word greater in there for no reason at all. He did it because he's trying to say something. God gives greater grace. In other words, the grace that God gives that empowers us to overcome whatever is holding us back, whatever is enslaving us, whatever is defeating us, that the grace of God is greater than that. That whatever you are facing, the grace of God, the empowerment of God is greater than that. Think of it this way. It's like little David, the boy, facing great big Goliath, the warrior. The giant is huge. And humanly unbeatable. There's no way David can beat Goliath. It's impossible. But the empowerment of God in David was greater. Because of God's intervention by grace, the empowerment, the the humanly unbeatable circumstance was overcome. That's what he's talking about here. That empowerment to destroy the enemy is God's greater grace. Now, 
let's notice something about what James says is essential for receiving God's greater grace. What he's not going to say is just you, you beg for it. He's not going to say God's greater grace comes from going to a Pentecostal prayer meeting. He's very specific on where God's greater grace comes from here. What does he say is essential to receive God's greater grace? He actually says this. God gives grace to whom? The humble. Humility. And he uses the word submission in the same text. Humility, submission are essential for receiving the greater grace of God in your life to overcome the obstacles that are in your life. Humility. It's, what is humility? It's the understanding and acknowledgement that God is king and I am not. And that I need him because of who he is. See, humility is the key to receiving grace. Humility, what it is, is seeing ourselves properly. That's really what humility is all about. It's seeing ourselves and the big picture of the world properly. It's seeing ourselves in the light of God's greatness. When I begin to understand the magnitude of God, I begin to grasp his wonder. When I, when I honestly can understand he's a good, good father, I see this greatness of God. When I see the wonder of God, the power of God, the goodness of God, and then I begin to understand the reality of myself. And friends, one of the biggest obstacles to humility is having a, a worldly or wrong view of self. We're supposed to see ourselves in, in light of God's greatness. We, it's, it's right for us to see ourselves how we are. And you know how we are, really are according to Scripture? We're frail. And we're weak. And we're dependent. That's what we're supposed to be. That doesn't mean we don't have good attributes. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you really look at it in this world, the reason we need grace is because really humanity is frail and weak and dependent upon God. When I get a right picture of the incredibleness of God, and it's incre this incredible God loves a frail person like me, then you know what my natural reaction is? I bow my knee to God. I bow my knee to God, and I acknowledge that He is amazing, that He is limitless, and what I do is I submit to Him as my Lord and my God. Friends, that's humility. It's seeing God for who he is, recognizing, not in a negative way, but recognizing who I am as a human. Psalm 103 says this, God knows your frame. Another translation said, God knows what you're made of. The next verse, you're just dust. That's who we are. And God loves us, and he wants to empower us, but we have to understand he's God, and we're not. That's what humility is all about. Humility isn't the denial of one's ability or achievements, that's the misunderstanding of humility. Oh, I'm just an old rotten slug. That's not humility. It's not the, the, the denial of abilities or achievements. Rather, humility is not forgetting that those abilities and achievements are ultimately the result of God's goodness within you. That's what humility is all about. So therefore, humility is the opposite of pride. Now here's the question from the text that, that you ought to ask yourself as, as you're reading the text. Why would James say that having humility 
is essential to receiving the grace that we need to overcome the obstacles that are drawing us away from, I have decided to follow Jesus, and saying, I'm going to follow the ways of the world. Why is humility essential for receiving the grace that I need to win this battle and, 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 and win the war? Why humility? Very simple reason. Because the source of our obstacle, the source of our sin. Look at verse 7. Verse 7, it reveals the source of your troubles. The real source of your troubles. What's the real source of your troubles? Verse 7, the devil. Resist the devil. Friends, you need to understand something. There is something we need to remember every single day if we are going to live productive, overcoming, fruitful lives. And it's this. We are at war. I don't care how rich and powerful you become. I don't care what great job you get. I don't care how if you live every day just on the, you know, you know, in a, in the mountains at a beautiful lake, you know, sipping iced tea every day and you say life is just good. Friends, if you're alive and breathing today, you are at war. Because there is a very real devil and the very real, and so the, the world today is trying to say there is no good, there is no bad, really, there is no real evil. Friends, there's a devil. The Bible says he's real. That there's a very real devil and he hates God and he hates everyone and anyone who is aligned with God. Anyone. So if you are a Christ follower, I have decided to follow Jesus. If you're a Christ follower and you sing that song, then he hates you and he wants to destroy you. The devil is the source, friends, of the temptation that you have inside of you to sin. He's the whisper in your ear to do that thing you vowed on New Year's Day that you would never do again. He is the voice whispering in your ear. Come on, no one will know. It makes you feel so good. He's the voice in your ear. The devil is the snare set before you. He does it through people, but he's a snare set before you that wants to entrap you. He is the one who wants you to deny your commitment to Jesus. He's the one who wants you to commit spiritual adultery, to sing all the songs, but live in a life that's contrary to to I will follow Jesus. So as Paul says in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. That's the reality of a world today. We are wrestling with the devil. And the reason we need God's grace to overcome is because the enemy we are fighting and resisting is the devil himself. And he is beyond your ability to defeat. I don't care how strong you think you are. The devil is smarter and stronger than you. Friends, you're not just fighting an addiction. You're not just fighting a bad habit. You are fighting the devil who is using those things to try to destroy you because he hates you because you align yourself with God. But get this. This is what James is saying. But humility changes the equation. Humility changes the equation. 
Humility causes me to stand behind Jesus. That's what humility does. Humility causes me to seek his protection because I know that I need it. Because I really believe he is God and I am not. I really believe he is in control and I don't want to be in control. For some of you control freaks, you will wrestle and lose over and over until you understand giving up control to Jesus is the path to victory. It's recognizing he's great and we're in need of him. I willingly go his way because I know I can trust him. So I willingly submit and follow the leadership of the Lord. Friends, humility opens the door for the greater grace of God to operate in my life. Humility welcomes the leadership of Jesus over every part of my life. It says, you're not just Lord of, of, of part of me, you're Lord of all of me, God. I surrender it all to you in humility because I know that you're great and I'm not. So when I walk in humility, then the enemy attacks I'm not then dependent on my own strength to win. No, I'm dependent upon the strength and the grace of God because I'm standing behind him because I'm willingly following him. A person who's humble is a follower. Are you seeing this connection between humility and the greater grace of God? Humility welcomes God into the fight. That's what David did. Remember what David said? Who is that uncircumcised Philistine to taunt the armies of the living God? God helped me defeat the lion. God helped me defeat the bear. And God will help me to defeat this uncircumcised Philistine. He, he in humility said, he didn't go, I beat the lion and I beat the bear. He said, God caused me to beat the lion. God caused me to beat the bear. And God will cause me to beat this one also. He understood God's greatness. And in humility, he walked behind God and welcomed God's power and goodness into his life. Humility welcomes God into the fight. It puts God up front with you safely behind him. Friend, that's where the victory comes from. So James says this, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Friends, it's all about this humble relationship which brings you close to God. Friends, the key to overcoming is intimacy with God. That's the key. That's what he's getting across, this whole thing. Draw near to God. Resist the devil. Look what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, oh, stand up in a mountain and resist the devil. I've seen charismatics do that for years. We're going to go to the high point and we're going we're to cast down the devil. He never says that. He says, draw near to God. Hide in God. Submit to God and resist the devil. It's all about being close with God. The key is over to overcoming is intimacy with God. Then as you resist, you will have the greater grace that you need to be an overcomer. It's not about binding the devil. It's all about living in a humble, safe place in Christ. Now, if you want to fight the devil on your own, God will let you. He will. God does not force us to follow him. People say, why is sin in this world? Why did God let these things happen? Here's the deal, friends. God doesn't force us to follow him. He loves us enough to give us free reign. God will let you fight the devil on your own. 
He has no desire to force himself upon you. He will let you be the Lord of your own life as long as you want to be the Lord of your own life. You can sing all the songs. I have decided to follow Jesus and still be the Lord of your own life. But when you finally get tired of going it on your own, he is right here waiting for you, waiting to help you. So what's James' advice for overcoming? Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Victory, overcoming, happens when God, by his grace, does the fighting in us, and through us, and for us, that comes when we draw near to him. Now, one more comment about this before we close. You have to be serious about the overcoming. You have to be serious about the overcoming. God's grace is going to do it. You have to call out to God for his grace. But then you have to walk in the empowerment that he gives you to win. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. The second sentence of verse 8 says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Remember, he's writing to Christians. And purify your heart, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. You go, that doesn't sound very victorious. What's he talking about here? He's saying this, take seriously the fight. Fight with the grace power that God gives you. Fight like your life, your spiritual life, your real life depends on it because it does. Put aside any distractions. He said, listen, get serious. Stop laughing. Start mourning. He's like, take it seriously. Do what you need to do. Stop the party and take this thing seriously right now. Take overcoming seriously. Fight with the greater grace power that God gives you. Fight like your life depends on it. Put aside any distractions and fight with the grace that God has given you. David still had to wield his slingshot to fight fight Goliath. God empowered him. God enabled him. God gave him greater grace to overcome a foe that was unbeatable. But he still had to pick up the stone, put it in a sling, and wheel that thing around and smack Goliath between the eyes with the stone in order to beat him. So God gave greater grace. God gave all the empowerment. But David still had to say, put all this stuff aside. You know what? Cleanse my hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. You double-minded. Let's get serious about this. Be all in. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's saying, listen, stop laughing. It's time to go to war and fight. And if David had to do it, so must we. Be serious about the battle. Now maybe you're here today and you are in the middle of a battle that that you are ready finally to invite Jesus. And you've been singing the songs. I have decided to follow Jesus. You've been singing them for years maybe. But somehow through life, the reality, the slyness of the devil, his trickery, um, he's got you to, to enter in the ways of life that you're really living over like this. And you're saying you're over here. Here's the deal today. Draw close to Jesus. 
surrender that thing to him. Say this, God, I finally give up. I can't do it on my own. What we think is, okay, I'm going to try harder. God says, stop trying harder. Submit to me. Humble yourself. Draw close to me. Then he's going to give you the power to walk in strength through whatever it is. The strength to say no. The strength to say yes to what you have to. He's going to give you the power and the strength and the courage and the victory. You're going to have to be serious and walk it out. But he's going to give it to you. So if you're a Christian and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of this, double, this double-minded lifestyle, you can be an overcomer today. James tells us how. So draw close to him today. Maybe you're here, though, and you say this, you know what, Mark? I've never really asked Christ in my life. Jesus isn't part of my life. And uh, I've been going it alone for a long time, and the fact is the devil's been beating you up pretty bad, and you know it. Well, today, if you're ready, you can give your life to Jesus. You can say yes to Jesus. You can say, you know what, God? I'm tired of being Lord of my own life. I'm ready for you to be Lord of my life, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to come in and wipe away all that junk, forgive me of all the sins, make me a brand new person, this is what he does, and breathe spiritual life into me. Give me, the Bible talks about being translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's great light, the light of his son, Jesus Christ. That he can do that today, and he, how he does it by us simply saying yes to God and walking me in. If you're tired of trying it on your own, he says today is the day. Welcome him in to your life. You know you need Jesus. Today's a day. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray together this, evening, this morning. Lord, what a gift you've given us in the Bible. What a gift you've given us in these words from James of showing us how to be overcomers. Showing us how that we can we can win against a foe that is unbeatable on our own, but is nothing for you. And that, Lord, there are things in our lives, they're not today, they will be tomorrow, that are obstacles, and we need to overcome them. They're temptations, they're, they're temptations to compromise, they're the temptation to not take you at your word and not do what you tell us to do, to not follow after you the way we should to be half-hearted, lukewarm, not all in. And Lord, we know this, the way, the solution to that, James is saying, is to draw close to you in humility and call out for your greater grace, for your empowerment. And so, Lord God, for any person in this place today that, that knows you as Savior and Lord, and Lord, there's something in their life that, that they've been making resolutions for and it's just not working right now, Lord, as they lift those things up to you, in the quietness of their heart, they just lift them up to you and they say, Lord, you know this thing. You know this thing, Father, and, and this, this attitude, this action, this involvement. And I'm tired of it. And I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I've made resolution after resolution. But Lord, now what I need is greater grace. And so, Lord, we lift those things up to you this morning. We lift them up and we, we offer them to you. We say, God, I can't, but you can. And Lord, we're going to fight with all we have inside of us, all the power that you put within us. But Lord, we know just on our own it can't win. So we say this, God, fill us with your grace, with your power, your abilities that can do in us that we, what we can't do for ourselves.
And so today, God, we welcome you into the fight. Today, Lord, we recognize that you are the victor and we want to hide behind you. And so right now, just in our, in our heart and our mind, we say, Lord, I'm taking up my position behind you to be a follower. Maybe you're here today with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And you say, you know what? I've really never been serious about giving my life to Jesus. I've not even sung the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. And if I did, I surely knew I didn't mean it. But I have been getting beat up. And getting beat up by the devil is a gift from God a lot of times because it shows us that we need the true answer. You've been getting beat up long enough that you're ready to say yes to Jesus. If that's you today, I want to give you a chance to respond to what the Spirit is doing inside of you. Not what I'm trying to tell you to do, but the Spirit inside of you. If something inside of you is saying, yes, I need to say yes to Jesus today, then I want to give you a chance to respond. So starting over on on my left in the sanctuary, you're right. I'm going to say this. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. But you're going to, I'm going to give you a chance to make a real response between you, me, and God. If you say, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus, I want to welcome him into my life to be my Lord and Savior, I want you to look up and look me right square in the eye. I'm just going to go from my left to my right. I'm going to go through the whole congregation. Okay? Center section now. Okay? All right, I'm going to invite the whole congregation this morning to pray with me because multiple people saying, I need to say yes to Jesus. And I'm going to invite everybody in the churches to pray this. And if you said you're ready to say yes to the Lord, there's nothing magical about the words. All we're doing is we're coming in line with how, what we were made to be. We were made to be followers of Jesus. God created this world and put us in it so that we could be in relationship with Him. And sin and the devil has, has destroyed that, but God says, I can restore it. And what's happening right now is the restoration of that broken relationship. You're going to welcome them in and say, yes, I want to live in that relationship that I was created to live in with Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. So let's pray this way. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus. I know that I need you. So today, so today, I welcome you into my life. I welcome you into my life. I need your power. I need your power. I need your grace. I need your grace. Would you wipe away all the garbage? Would you wipe away all the garbage? Would you take away all the sin? Would you take away all the sin? Make me brand new. Make me brand new. And on this day, and on this day, I welcome you into my life. I welcome you into my life. I ask you to fill me with your presence. Fill me with your presence. I need your greater grace. Need your greater grace. So on this day, so on this day, I give, I give my life, my life to you. To you. Thank you, Jesus.